podcast. Uh, this is Kevin Broom. I'm your host, along with co-host Ron Oaks Cunningham. Today we have a, a guest, Akbar from. Uh, well, he's he's in various places on on in social wizard social media. He's uh, a great follow on Twitter at Fast Breconomics. I'll, uh, that's S F A S T B R E C O Nomics. And um, like I say, he's great. Uh, got a lot of good stats and good information, good takes on the Wizards. I don't agree with everything he says, and I'm sure we'll get into some of that today. But uh, Ron, uh, welcome, and Akbar, welcome. Thank you. So uh, let's dive right in. But Akbar, we'll start with you. The, the Wizards, the record is good, right? 15 and 11, good record, but they also have a negative scoring differential. So um just, you know, what do you think about that? What do you think about them making the playoffs and all that kind of stuff? So if nothing were to change right now and the Wizards just kind of like were playing up to sort of the average level of where they are, where they were in their 10 and three start and where they are now, which obviously two extremes, I would say they couldn't, they wouldn't make the playoffs because the underlying sort of stats behind them are not very good despite the record. Uh, they've, now, to be fair, they have uh, had some like weird shooting luck for the past few games, but they also had some very fortunate shooting mm -hmm. luck for like the first 13 games. So some of that will average out. Um, but they cut. So like you said, the record's good. Their scoring margin is sort of that of what you would, I guess, it, like um, there's a something uh, Kevin Pelton basically uh, has this theory. I don't know if he, he came up with it or someone else, but basically you add two point, you just multiply a scoring margin by 2.7 and that pretty much gives you your win differential and add it to 41 and that gives you win differential and the wizards are kind of on pace for like i think 39 wins which i think is what you predicted um, <laughs> which is so. kind of funny um so you know i'd say that they're they're probably average at this point with some upward mobility uh, and we'll talk about that later but um, yeah, I mean, for this like road trip coming up, they have to be much better than average to stay 500, I think. So yeah, yeah. The, the, the road trip coming is, is basically like a nightmare. I've, I've got them, I have a forecasting sheet. I call it my prediction yep. machine because why not, right? Um, but yeah, so I, I do a, basically run a new forecast after every game um, just to sort of see like, if the season plays out the rest of the way, the way it has to that point, what happens, right? And it never works out that the season actually plays out. Every game, there's a little bit of a change, right? Um, so think about this. Back on, let's see, after they beat the Orlando Magic, um, the, the projected wins for the Wizards was 50.7, right? So a 51-win team, basically, 50-51-win team. That's going to be probably a top four seed, top four or five, right? Um, it's the, the recent low was when they, um, lost to the Pacers and got down to 39.1. So, and now after beating the Pistons, they went all the way up to 39.2. So basically they, they really didn't move at all. It's, um, it's interesting. So I, I also, I keep have a variety of little measures that I keep track of. Some of it's just for my own. And you talked about them being average. If you look at them in relation to, in comparison to their opponents, basically when you account for the quality of their opponents, they've played the league's easiest schedule to this point. And when you look at them in 
in, in the context of their opponents. Their offense is about 1.1 points per 100 possessions, worse than average. And their defense is four-tenths of a point below average as well. So even that, which was supposed to be their strength, is now not even a strength. I mean, it's relatively stronger than, yep. their, than their offense, but both of them are problems right now. Yep. I think Ron has something he wants to say. No, I, I mean, like, it's, you both are, you know, stating the obvious. This team is mediocre. Like, nothing's wrong with that, right? Like, mediocre gets a negative slant, but it just means not very good, and that's what they are. They're not very good. We, I guess, like, some folks, like, I mean, I know, like, last year there was a divide between uh, the Russ Stans who hopped on, the Fire Scott Brooks uh, coalition, those who flew those banners. And, you know, we started off, like, fire. We started off scorching. So, um, we kind of like overlook that outside of Bradley Bill, there's no one on the team you really will pay to see play basketball. You know what I mean? Like, like, and, and that's that's not a knock on like Kuzma, Trez, the the other band of uh, role players, if you will. It's just like a it's a fact. Like I, I wouldn't play to see KCP, Kuzma, Rui, Denny, um, Daniel Gafford. I damn sure wouldn't pay to see this version of uh, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. None of them. And so they're mediocre. So I, I think that's just what it is, right? Like we, we got on our high horse because we're used to, to being bad. Um, you know, like last year, what was it? 17-32 or something. Or we were like 5-15 and 15 off the break. The year before, I don't even count the two years prior to that because um, I had to watch, um, what's the guy from, I, why am I drawing a blank on his name? Uh, the UConn pro- product who play basketball for us. Uh, no, no, like the previous two years. Uh, I can't think of his name. Anyway, I'll, I'll look it up uh, when I finish this tangent. But like, but so we we have we have bum players. We have bum players. We didn't really get like a, a lot of influx of talent. Like even the ninth picks overall. Like Rui has the most most upside. And you know you'll disagree with that, Kevin. But um. It's just a roster of mid, and that's what we are. So we're we're trending down towards who we ultimately will become. Uh, Thirty nine, I can see it. I, I don't want that to happen because I, I would like my my uh, case of vegan beer from you. Um, but it is what it is. So it's like we can we can you know we can slant it however we want. But the yep. truth is, team is mid, and now it's time. I don't want to get too far ahead, but I, I do remember watching um the vegas summer league and an interview that tommy did was like well we're in position to this is a developing roster roster in transition he was intimating that there are moves to come and so i'll just leave it at that what we currently have is not good enough it's mediocre and that's why we're seeing what we're seeing i mean i i think i think you you cover you are yeah i kind of agree with most of what you said about how the roster is kind of coming back down to earth I do think there is like they will play better. I think there will be a stretch at some point where, you know, we'll feel a little bit better about their where they are. Um, but you know, this is just like like I feel like every time like over the years I've seen as a Wizards fan, I've seen like two or three different teams throughout the course of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, like obviously last year it was basically two different teams, like the first half of the year, second half of the year, and then 2016, 2017. I actually like did some research at the same time this year, I think they won 
their their scoring margin was also pretty bad. It was like minus 30. And then they just had this like, I guess, miraculous resurgence, which obviously I'm, I'm not saying they'll have again, but that's, you know, if you want to be as optimistic as you possibly can, you can think that maybe there is sort of better days to come, but I don't know if it'll be in this schedule, um, you know, so we'll see. Well, th there are, I mean, just looking at the, at the my forecasting, my prediction machine, like the next, let's see, what, seven games. Well, really the next like 11 games, 12 games are going to be rough, right? Yeah. And when I say look at the schedule over the next 12, I've got them currently favored in two. So, oh, geez. yeah. Yeah. So they'll probably win three or four, I think, but it's going to be, it's going to be a rough couple of weeks here, but you know, when they come around into January and they've got a stretch and they, they have a long home stretch in there, but they've got, you know, a stretch of games where they play Orlando, Oklahoma city, yep. Orlando again, Portland, Philly will be a tough game, but they've got, a, they've got some get well stretches in there. Um, but I, I back to a point that Ron made, you know, making a move, I, they could use that because, you know, when I look at this roster, um, I've written about this a little bit. I think we even talked about it some last week is I don't think they have a true point guard on the roster. I don't think that's even necessary necessarily, but I do think that, you know, they've got such tiny guards. They could fix that by trading some of their, you know, surplus. Let me back up here just for a second, because when, you know, a lot of the talk before the season was, well, this team is deep. And the depth that the team had is really just a bunch of mid-level power forwards. They, they had a, have a logjam of guys who are all kind of, you know, in my PPA metric, like the 75 to like 110, right? Mediocre. Just a little not below good, average to a little bit above average. All of them useful in their ways, not bad players, just they're fine, right? They're, they're professional players. And on some nights, they'll play great. And then on other nights, they'll play terrible. And I guess the idea was that, the problem the problem is is what when, when a guy's not playing well you just don't play him you play somebody else but you don't really know how a guy's going to play until he gets out there on the floor right yep um and they also don't have a small forward on the roster um you know kcp yep. is a shooting guard to me uh, he can play small forward and i think he'd be fine you know playing there as a backup you know as a shooting guard small forward backup at you know going between two positions um I don't think Danny Avdia's best position is small forward. I think he's power forward, and yep. I think he'd be a, he'd be pretty solid there. I, probably in that same level of sort of mid level that everybody else is, right? And yep. so if they could make a trade where they put together two or three of these guys, and maybe one of their backup centers, maybe Thomas Bryant, maybe Montrez Harrell, and get a small forward, you know, a, like a real starting small forward, then I think that guys sort of slot into their roles a little bit better than they do now. Um, yes. That said, I still think they need a star. They're not yeah. going to get one because they don't, they don't have one on the roster. That's, I mean, that includes Bill. Oh, you don't think Bill. Oh, Bill's a star, man. That's uh, he's not a superstar. He may not be a superstar. That's, that's debatable, but he's a star, right? Like, that's, that's, that's harsh. I, I think – it depends on like what you define as a star, right? So like as a guy that can like move the needle for a franchise that, you know, you want like to build your franchise around. I mean, I know the wizards are kind of treating him like that with yes. sort of how they've built their roster, which, you know, we 
we can quibble with how we want, but you know, they, they have, they, at least they have, they seem to have like a path they want to go towards whether or not we agree with it. Um, but he's like, to me, there's like maybe five to 10 guys in the league who I'm like giving a super max eyes closed, no question about it. Yeah, um, yeah. And Bradley Beal is not one of those. And, you know, that's okay. There's very, there's not many of those, but I think the idea is, and I, I don't have an issue with like staying competitive. Like I'm not one of those fans who's like, you know, if you're not a championship team, you should blow it up or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But I think what we, they, what you should do is keep yourself competitive, but also flexible, you know, yeah, flexible yeah. to make another move. And I feel like that's the wizards have done better at that, but like looking at the roster right now, there isn't like a collection of players who I think is going to bring back a star, which, um, so I think what the wizards have to do is they have to, as Kevin said, maybe look for a better start, better, higher level starters, or maybe like, like undervalued stars, guys who are kind of awkward, like, um, you know, that, that burgeoning stars. Yeah. Burgeoning stars are guys who are like really awkward fits on in the league and like our star level, but like, like uh, like Ben Simmons, for, I'm not saying that they should trade for Ben Simmons, but Ben Simmons is a good example of, a, I guess, although Maury doesn't consider him undervalued, unfortunately, so maybe this analogy doesn't work, but theoretically, Ben Simmons is like a very awkward fit on most teams, uh, and but he he does have like star level potential, so yeah. like it's kind of, you could think of him as like a distressed mm-hmm. asset, so it's like maybe that's something that the Wizards can go for somebody who's like kind of undervalued and uh, has some upside, but in terms of like bringing like a legitimate star, like they, they're just not there right now in terms of assets. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Like we, we don't have the draft capital, first of all. And then the, the, the draft, the, the the players that we did spend our draft capital on um, again, Kevin's going to disagree, but I think only Rui has the, like, I think Rui has the biggest upside. Right. But, um, one thing we'll never get Ben Simmons. Like no matter what people think of him, if he retires, like, well, yeah. maybe this would uh, carry more weight if it happened right at, like before the meltdown. But last year, prior to going into the series against Atlanta, if he were retired, we're talking like he's a top 20 point guard of all time, just on what he can do, how he can literally shut down. Like he can shut down whoever, like whoever's on the court, um, the only quibble we have with him is he can't score. Like, and, and think of that. Like, that's a great problem to have. Like, you cannot score. You cannot shoot. Like, I, I never um, put too much stock into forcing him to become a three-point shooter and stuff like that. Because when you look at Philly's roster, it was never tailor-made for him. Philly, that that tanking, uh, which was started under um, and Hank, Hank and what was his name? Sam Hankey. Sam, Sam Hankey, we trust, like all that stuff. It was just grab the biggest like player, the best player available. It wasn't with any type of uh, plan in place. So therefore, uh, where was the Philadelphia shooting last year? That roster wasn't built around Ben Simmons' talent. One can even argue it wasn't, it's still not built around Joel Embiid's talent, right? So that's like the, the downside of let's just take the best available player. You're not really... Uh, moving forward you're just stockpiling to do something later so anyway long long story aside I don't think we can get Ben Simmons but um, I'm with you like to get a burgeoning star is more likely Um, but the thing is the players we have I feel like teams like competing teams will want that like if you like if you're Miami you can use a cools you see what I'm saying like like 
those are the teams like like potential contenders who will want our stock of mid because yeah. otherwise it's like um you know when you when you trade for someone you want a short thing or you want a development project coos will help you out kcp will help you out they've been there they won championships and quite frankly they play phenomenal in that series against miami so those are the teams who really will want what we have and that's why I don't think we can get like any birds and star. We have to look at teams who like Indiana, like OKC, who or, or even um, maybe we can make amends and go get uh, Halliburton, like teams like uh, Sacramento, who are clearly tanking just without putting the label on them that, hey, this is a tanking yeah. season. So in my well, head, Sa- Sacramento is trying to win. They want. They nah, did you see last night, man? That was a clear tank job. Nah, they're they're actually trying to get that into the play-in. They want okay. their owner. Okay. Maybe the players are tanking. The <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, fair enough. I mean, the market, the capital of the Golden State does need to revitalize themselves. So maybe okay. So knocking Sacramento off the team, like locking that off the list, it leaves like what uh, off the top of my head? OKC, Indiana, maybe Dallas. Maybe Dallas. Hmm. Yeah, I think Dallas would be much more likely to. They they could make a move. Yeah, I see what you're saying. That they yeah, maybe Dallas or something like that. Because uh, like, like uh, the KCP. I mean, uh, I mean the KP and Luca thing hasn't like quite meshed. Yep. Uh, it's not dovetailing together the way Mark uh, expected it. So maybe Dallas, we can get some players from there. But realistically speaking, I think there are two teams who. Tommy picks up the phone will either entertain an idea of uh, taking on the filler contract or, um, you know, trading a, a, a low asset from outside to get something good back. And that's OKC. And Kevin, you know where I'm going with this. You know who I want from OKC. He will solve <laughs> a lot of problems. He goes by the name of Lou Dort. Lou Dort, Lou Dort will be the perfect small forward for us. Um, probably like, honestly, and this is not, uh, any, like not me being facetious, you probably step in day one and become our best three point shooter. And this is a guy that folks said couldn't shoot. So like, I think like to, to, to wrap up his game. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. But he has, right. He's learning offense. That's the last step of his development, learn offense. And then maybe you'll want to turn him into a playmaker. I don't know, but those yeah. are the teams. And I, I want to hear you all's thought on that. Like, it sounds good that we can we can package out again our stock of mid. We could package <laughs> it to to get something good. But realistically speaking, who will want them? I think that there is definitely. I think Tommy Shepard. I hope Tommy Shepard is really like considering like consolidation trade of some sort because I agree that they definitely have a stock of power forwards, and I I do like actually the theory of playing like a bunch of big wings or like big, like three, four ish guys and just like kind of rolling with it and seeing how it benefits you defensively. And I think they've looked interesting with sort of lineups specifically with Obvia, but I agree that a true kind of starting small forward. Uh, I mean, I, I love Lou Dort as well. Uh, the problem with Lou Dort is he's, he makes like almost nothing. Uh, and OKC has like no reason to trade him because he his salary is like, like I think he makes like he signed like a four year, like less than $10 million deal with them. So he's like, a, he's basically like making like a uh, minimum. At this league minimum. Yeah. Like, so he's, so he like, he's one of the, like, he's probably the best bang for your buck you could possibly get yeah. in the league. One of them. Um, so, but what I think that, so one guy like that, I think maybe could be gettable is, 
uh, one of the indie bigs. I know that they're not small forwards, but like uh, I've really been enamored with the idea of Sabonis on the Wizards just because I think that he is kind of an ideal partner for Bradley Beal and how mm-hmm. he's like a really good passer, uh, really good screener. Could re- You'd see some really nice dribble handoff stuff. Uh, the fit is awkward because, you know, all the bit, all the centers that they have. But for me, it's just kind of like, you know, just kind of get talent in the door and figure it out later. Yeah. Now, yeah. of course, this is me saying I have no clue what Indiana is looking for. But I feel like Sabonis is kind of a kind of a traditional four slash five in the modern league. He doesn't really protect the rim. Uh, he's not really a shooter. So yeah. I, I, I can't think that a lot of teams would find a place for him, which I think we could get him for cheaper. But I mean, this is just complete speculation. So. Uh, yeah, I, d- I definitely think we can get them for cheap. The thing is, it's just uh, Indiana, a small market, is going to overvalue him, right? It's, it's going to be, true. we want something we want something tangible back. And sorry, Wizards, uh, KCP, <laughs> Gaffer. I mean, KCP, Trez, and, you know, Rui doesn't quite cut it. Though Rui may be interesting. Like, Rui, but then, you know, him, Duarte, who knows, right? That that may be that may be something that uh, gets them to to snap at the line. The thing is, um, I would like Subonis if we have him, but again, I don't think he moves the needle nor adds any uh, additional wins to uh, the column. So it's like, what are we doing? We're just getting a sexy name, you know, and we're adding to our international profile. Next, we'll have a Wizards account, uh, you know, like we'll we'll have that we'll have that up there and. So, I, I mean, I'm with you, but if, like, to stick in line with uh, one of the Indiana Pacers, I would want Miles Turner. He wants more. He's one of the best defenders out there. And even if we have to give up Gaffer, Tony Bryant, like, like uh, Gaffer, Thomas Bryant, uh, I would give up Denny, and I would give up Bertons. I, I would keep Rui. Um, I would give Miles because – um, like we all, I think we're in common consent. Like we, we only can get someone who's like, uh, who may blossom into a star with what the group of mid we have and who better than him. He wants a bigger role, right? Like he wants a bigger role. And for guys who want a bigger role, I like looking at, well, how, how did you manage the role you were in? So Kuz, I don't want to say he hoodwinked me, but I was a big believer and Kevin wasn't, he tried to walk me off the plank uh, early on it. Like, uh, Ron, he's 26, you know, 26-year-old players don't really make a big jump. Nevertheless, he had that want to, and he was great at the role he was in. Like, as much ridicule, ridicule he got from uh, Laker fans, LeBron turned him into a 6'10 spot-up shooter and defender, and he, he, he took the role, he played it well, it resulted in a championship, right? So, Miles Turner, he wants more, but I can't quite say that the role he's currently in, he's doing great with it. Like, I mean, sure, he's a great He's a great defender and stuff like that, but he's pouting. Uh, he wants more. He's not really impacting the game other – I mean, I, I mean, that's, this is a loaded way to say it. He's not impacting the game other than blocking shots, right? That does impact the game. But those type of players, I always have like a – I'm adverse to going in all in for because if we give you what you want and it doesn't work out, what are you going to do next? Blame us again? Blame us? Like we're the ones taken away from what you can possibly do? And that's where, you know – I have tension over it, but if I'm going to go for one of them, I would want Miles over Sabonis. Yeah, so Miles is, is 25. He turns 26 in March. So he, he's, he's getting to that point where he, he kind of is what he is. But also, think about this. This is one of those things where he's on, his, what, his third coach in the NBA? Um, and 
basically all three coaches have pretty much come to the same conclusion with him. You know, the way that the, the coaches typically work with their players is like early in training camp, they just sort of let them play a little bit to sort of sort out for themselves how they're going to play, what the roles are, that kind of thing. And then they start, uh, you know, implementing things like that. So these coaches have watched them now in pickup games and they've watched them just sort of sort themselves out how they're going to play. And these coaches, like three different coaching staffs have come to basically the same conclusion that Miles Turner is a good defender and a role player and that he's not, you know, a, he's not some superstar in hiding. You know, Rick Carlisle is somebody that I actually spent some time talking with years ago, back when he was coaching like Detroit and listening to him talk about how he decided who, who belongs in what role, that kind of thing was fascinating. And so I don't think that that's the kind of thing that's changed. That approach has changed a whole lot. And so, you know, Carlisle is yep. his current coach. And has pretty much said, you know, they're, they're trying some stuff with him. And yeah. I will say that Turner's having, so far, his best season. Um, but a lot of that is just predicated on he's hitting lots of, he's hitting everything. He's shooting yeah. the lights out. Yeah, other than that, his numbers are pretty much the same as what they've been. So oh. um, my guess is that the shooting will cool off over the course of the season. And he'll probably be right around what he was, and has been, you know. And yeah. that's not bad. He's a good defender. It's just that. You know, he doesn't rebound. He doesn't, uh, you know, he, he doesn't, he's not a particularly efficient offensive player. He's all right, but it's like. Doesn't move the needle. Yeah. Doesn't move the needle. Exactly. One knock exactly. against Rick Carlisle, though. I mean, this is also the guy who ruined Roddy Bucket's career. So it's like, you know, like Roddy Bouwah would have been better than Steph Curry if Carlisle didn't have, like, was adverse to playing young players. He was forced to play Luca. Like uh, Mark Cuban said, no, you're going to turn over the keys to this young guy. Luca doesn't like this guy. Like well, Luca doesn't Luka. like him, uh, you know. So this so, guy, you know, like so just it's actually, this actually brings me to an interesting point that I wanted to bring up on like coaches' philosophies because I think Wes Unseld Jr. Uh, what we're seeing with the Wizards' offense is very interesting. Rick Carlisle is like the kind of guy, like like Ke like Kevin said, he'll look at a player, see them play, and say, okay, this is your role. We want you to stick with it. And a lot of players don't really like that, as we saw with Porzingis and like, you know, they, and they, you know, he likes to just run a specific system for the specific way he sees players. Uh, and it seems like Wes Unsell Jr. is kind of like in the Steve Kerr co uh, like camp of, you know, yes, like we could theoretically just do this, this, um, you could run pick and rolls with Bradley Beal a hundred times a game. But then our guys will not feel involved and they won't want to play defense. And, you know, we want we want them to feel the ball. Um, and, you know, I think that one of the one of the reasons the Wizards offense has, you know, kind of struggled is I think they, they just give a lot of these on ball reps to these guys who don't really deserve it. And I'm thinking I'm I've been trying to think why. And I'm thinking maybe it's just kind of a thing where, you know, KCP and Coos are guys that they were in L.A. and they were kind of. I guess, shafted by LeBron, if you want to say, into like roles which they didn't want to play. So the Wizards are just trying to, you know, keep them a little bit happy for the end of the season so they can try hard on defense. Um, and maybe, you know, Wes just needs to move into the more Carlisle style. It's like, okay, you know, enough of this, like making you happy and stuff. We're going to put you in the corner. We're going to run pick and roll with Beal, Gafford, or Beal and Harrell, and we're just going to go to work. And I think the Wizards offense kind of needs that. But yeah, that's kind of a tangent that I have yeah. that well, that's, that's fair I mean like I've, I'm critical of uh Wes's uh offense like I 
I've tweeted out Ted, like, hey, hire Mike D'Antoni as offensive coordinator. This thing yep. stinks. The <laughs> offense stinks. Like, it's swing, 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 three seconds left. Let's try to get a hero ball type shot, right? And then it makes all the chirpers on Twitter, ISO ball, ISO ball, move the ball. No, we're moving the ball. We're moving the ball around the horn. The defense just doesn't respect what we're doing. No, exactly. is, with, the, with what the Wizards are doing offensively, what, at least what I see is a lot of times the ISO, the ISOs, you know, the dribble penetration, that kind of stuff, some of it is, is set where they do that little off, they do the pin, sort of pin down screen in the corner. And then, um, and then you know the the player catches the ball on the run. Beal does this a lot. Neto does it a lot. Where they they catch the ball on the run and they're already turning the corner, right? Mm, and it's just like they've got a head of steam. It's a really nice action. But they run a lot of other stuff that just gets blown up. I mean, they yep. they don't get any kind of separation. Their screens are basically ineffective. They run pin downs and stuff that just result in nothing. And you'll see guys make cuts and there's a defender just waiting for them to make the cut. It seems like what they're doing, I don't know whether it's, it's too predictable or whether they don't really just have enough talent to stress the defense enough to get out of position. The whole thing with swing, swing, swing is that you start swinging the ball after you've created an advantage. The action, the, the screen roll, which is, you know, what, 30% of league offense, right? Yeah. But the whole point of that is to get numbers it's to try to get you know two offensive players one of them with the ball hopefully against one defender and then you can make the pass or you know to, to make the defense rotate or to crash down to help and then you kick out and then they make that first rotation to the corner so he passes it up to the wing they make the second rotation and then you pass it over to the top and by then it, you know it's tough for defenses to make that third fourth and fifth rotation to, you know that third fourth yeah, fifth close out then you attack the closeout and you do it again, right? Yep. The thing is, the defender is swinging on comes it. after you've created the advantage. The swing does not create the advantage. Yeah, yep. but well, so we're operating like we have it upside down, then, right? Like we're swinging, but we're not creating those advantages to even swing to good yeah, shots. What, what I'm saying is, I think the I, I, my critique there was really much more, I think, about the fans, not the system. I think the okay. system that they're running is trying to create the yep. advantage, it's just failing. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 nasty. Think, it's bad. I think, so, and I think that's because of a couple of reasons. One, I think they don't have. We've talked about it. We've got yep. the, the the bag of mid, right? <laughs> we've got a bunch of sort of mid level guys who, you know, like if you gave the ball to Kuzma and asked him to use say 35 percent of possessions, right, and to um, you know create offense and really do something great, right? He'd probably average six seven turnovers per hundred possessions. I mean. It would, and he would, there'd be a low shooting percentage. It would be ugly, right? Yep. He, he's much better playing as a secondary attacker, right? Or a tertiary. Mm. But the other part of it is, is that, you know, th there are some things where you go back and you watch and there's, you know, when they set ball screens, the, the offensive players, the ball handler is not always setting up the screen very well, right? The, the, there's, we talk about the, the big man, oh, he's got to set a better screen. But a lot of times, you know, the big man, can come up and he can set a screen and then you're not supposed to move when you set the screen, right? He can yep. set the screen and then that's it. And what you need is for that offensive player to start with a jab step to move the defender back. Then you use the screen. And then when you use the screen, you're brushing against it so that the defender can't shoot it. And the Wizards ball handlers don't do that. And they haven't for a long time. I mean, that was a critique I had of John Wall um, in the way he used screens. It's, you know, 
now there are levels of skill, of course, because you know Wall was playing with Gortat, who was a fantastic screener. He would do that screen, rescreen, rescreen again, then set another screen somewhere else, and then still crash the offensive boards. Right? You know, he he would do that. And the Wizards don't have screeners like that anymore. Now, maybe yeah. they should bring in Gortat to teach a master class or something. But yeah, I think the screening part is like a great point. I think the the they've really missed that sort of element, um, and. Yeah, I mean, the, the offense is just, like, I was, like, taking a look at the numbers before, and if you look at, like, sort of the, the I guess, the fundamental factors, like the four-factor stuff, they're, like, 16th in effective field goal percentage, which is average. They're, like, 13th in true shooting percentage, which is, again, average. They're, uh, you know, they don't turn, they don't turn, I mean, they turn the ball over, but not at a crazy amount. They're, like, I think top 15 or something in yeah. turnover yeah. rate. They get to the line a lot. Uh, so I'm like, okay, so the, this, this seems to be like the elements of an average offense. Why in the world are they, they, they like 20th in offensive rating? And then you actually, I think the, the main sort of big issue is they don't, the, the advantage, one of the other ways you create advantages for yourself is in transition. And the Wizards are just a putrid transition team. Yeah. Second worst transition offense in yeah. terms of transition frequency and in points per possession, they are just bad in transition. They don't run. And when they do run, they don't really create anything when they run. And I think that is what's like kind of the sweat. I mean, all this other stuff like hurts, like their, their half court offense, you know, it does not look great, but you could live with that if they were like getting easy buckets. Easy bu yeah. No exactly. easy buckets. I made a joke to a buddy. Um, Cause he like uh, last year, like I would have some friends that were like, "Hey, we're going to watch the Wizards game, right?" Like, so I thought it was pretty cool. I had a group of folks not from the District of Columbia watching Wizards games with me, and he made a joke. He was like, uh, "You all need to bring Antoine Jameson back so he can leak out because this sucks, right?" Like, we get no, we get very few chances at easy buckets, and then I'm, I think uh, the few we have, I, I know I've seen Brad miss a layup, like an easy wide yeah. open layup. Uh, so we're we're uh, wasting the the rare chances that we do have, and that's the thing, right? Because all like looking at the numbers as well, like yeah, we're we should be pretty good, like defensively, like now is skewing down, but like we were good in that. Um, I don't know what it was in still. I think we were last in steals, right? So we're not we're last in steals, but we're pretty high up in getting deflections. Is that still accurate, Kevin? Like are we, we're getting our hands on balls, we're just not. Uh, acquiring them securing a, like securing the basketball and then get increasing effect like the the easy transition buckets by up to two three more a game that's six points we're like 20 and five we, we just don't have them and yeah. it gets me to my current uh my biggest disappointment of mid it gets yeah. me to the play of spencer dimwood like a combo guard, like the era i grew up it's like yeah you have the height you're either small but you're a great scorer who's stuck at point or you're very tall and you're really a shooting guard, but you play point, but you still have like an overlap of some of the qualities that a traditional one has and traditional two has. This guy has none. This guy, this guy has none, right? Like this guy, and, and I get it. Like um, I'm fair to recovery from the injury. I'm pretty sure you, you both seen a report that there was talk about uh, him sitting out for the first 15 games um, to, to rest his repaired knee. Like, so I understand all that stuff. Right. But when you, when you, when you step on the court, there are no excuses, right? You can't make an excuse for grown men. Like, you stepped out there, you take a full accountability for what you're doing, and it's like you 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 can't set us up, even though you are getting assist numbers, and he's helping my fantasy team to that aspect, but he's not, like, 
He's not really leading the floor. He's not a floor general. Some folks are saying he's learning how to play point, and he's not a bucket getter. So what is he doing out there? That's just I'll leave that to, to you two to answer. So he was kind of a bucket getter uh, for his like first few years in Brooklyn. Um, in that he was never really an efficient shooter, but the thing that he did so well is he got to the free throw line and he got to the rim and he finished there. And he's doing like neither of those things. And he's a little bit better as a shooter. I think he's up. He started off really hot, but he's like down to 35% from three, I think, which is still like above his career averages. But there's not much advantage to like that is good as like in addition to the stuff that he did before in terms of getting that adds to his game. It's not something that we want to we don't want him to be like doing just like I feel like the last few games, the only offense I've seen from him is like a contested step back three. Step back three. That's his bag. That's all he has now. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, this is a guy who who used to drive. I mean, his drives are down like a third from from his better years. In um, you know, he was a guy who attacked constantly in the half court, and um, he's he's clearly not doing that. Whether that's the knee or whatever, like you say, you can't make excuses for him. We can guess at the reasons because the Wizards aren't really being disclosed. It's it's pretty clear that he's not a hundred percent. Because they're keeping him at 30 minutes a game, which is not usually what you would do with a guy you consider to be your second best player. And he's sitting the second night of back-to-backs. So those are definitely, and they say that the second night is because of, um, uh, you know, because he's, you know, resting his knee. Well, it's pretty clear there's something there because like I said, he's on a minute's limit and he's not playing back-to-backs. So it's clearly, I mean, uh, you know, the knee has something to do with it. Although I will say he is more effective and the team is more effective when, uh, you know, Beal sits. When he's out there and there's not another, you know, primary ball handler, he's more effective. So uh, it's tough to say what, what the issue is with him, except that he and Beal have got to figure it out. And there's room for two combo guards to play together. They should be able to share a lot of roles, but they, they, um, they don't so, seem yeah, to have it. Really. I guess that brings us to the big elephant in the room. It's like, are we, is this just going to be what they are now for the rest of the season? Like, like if they are, then the wizards are just kind of screwed from the beginning. Right. Like if this, if they can improve and, you know, they can sort of get, I guess, 50, like at least 70% of the production they were getting from the role players at the beginning of the season, then you have like a pretty decent, I think maybe 45 ish win team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe that's being optimistic, but like, I think the big elephant in the room is that like, we just haven't had the, both of the guards just haven't played. They've had good games, but yeah, I would yeah. say that they just haven't played well over the course of the season and they have never really played well together at the same time. So like, are we ever going to reach that point? Um, and like, if you want to be an optimist, you can say, okay, like Bradley Beal, right. Bradley Beal and Davis Bertans are like the two of the 10 worst three point shooters in the NBA right now. Like, that is crazy, right? And Raul Neto is not too far behind. Corey Kispert is up there too. And, the, you know, the four worst three-point shooters in the league are like four guys who you thought were going to be like your four floor spacers to some extent. Mm-hmm. So is that a fluke or is that just just there? Because if it is, then the Wizards are even are in even more trouble than we just described. Um, and now to be fair, they were getting like absurd like MVP level production from Montrez Harold at the beginning of the season, which you probably wouldn't, expected to cool off at some point but you expected that to be kind of canceled out by Beal and Dinwiddie playing up to their level and they haven't and so we we have this like 
13 game stretch where they just look like maybe the worst, one of the worst teams in the league, quite frankly, their their numbers are just bad across the board. Yeah. Uh, Well, with Dinwiddie, so this is one of the things that's always a puzzle to me, like from the moment that the signing was even being rumored. And and that was the general reaction that Dinwiddie is awesome or was, was awesome at some point. Those are the Russ haters. That guy as that way, I think, you know, I, at least in my analysis, he was basically average, you know, a little bit better than average in his best season, but he was never like a borderline all-star, a sub all-star and all-star level performer, like Rod Strickland. You go back in the day with the, the, the bullets, right. And Rod Strickland, he never made an all-star team, but he was an all-star level player, right. In, in terms of what he, his production on the floor, Dinwiddie never got that to that. You know, he, he's never even been a full-time starter before he, <laughs> before he came to Washington. Brooklyn had him for, for a bunch of years and he was always sort of a six man, part-time starter, started some, sat, you know, came off the bench some. And that is illustrative of like his level. His coach kept thinking, this guy, he's, he's all right, but he's not like one of our best guys because yeah. those coaches usually try to start their best players. And so now he comes to the Wizards and it's like he's, they're looking to him to do more. and. I think this kind of is his level, you know, not to say that I think he can do some things better. He can drive more. He can probably defend a little bit better, that sort of thing. But he's not, he's not, it's not like he's some superstar who's having a bad year. This is kind of overall about where he, he performs with Beal. The thing I wonder with him is whether, you know, COVID took something. And when I say something, you know, obviously he, he looks fit, he looks good, you know, that kind of stuff. But it's the kind of thing where it's subtle. You know, the, the league is so the, he's, you know, 6'3", and a lot of what he does is on sort of that athleticism, the balance, the, the you know, the hand-eye coordination. And, you know, what if COVID t- takes 1% of the athleticism? What does that do? Right? What if it's 1% of his energy that, uh, you know, instead of like the the hundred health, he's at ninety nine or ninety eight, and so he gets tired faster. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I I'm puzzled a little bit as to why he's been shooting the why he shot the ball. He's shooting the ball so poorly this year, and why he is also getting the free throw line so so less. Although that could be just the officiating. It's it, yeah, it's probably part of the officiating. But the issue is he's actually his free throw like rate is actually below league average right now, which yeah. is crazy to think about because like for. For, for like the first few years, like relative to the rest of the league, he was getting to the line way more. Now he's like, he just doesn't get free throws anymore. And it's just like, that was the huge part of his game. Like as his three point shot kind of left him, he like started getting to the line and that kind of helped. But now you have a guy who's not really a knockdown shooter, can't get to the line. It's great mid, great from the mid range area uh, and great from like the in between, like little floaters, which is valuable. But if you're not getting to the line on top of it, there's like a huge like ceiling on like how efficient and helpful that kind of player can be. So yeah. yeah. His so move like, seems to be to like drive in, throw his body into somebody and then yell at the refs. Yeah, for the refs. Yeah. Yep. And he needs to learn how to draw fouls. Like he needs to learn how to manipulate um like manipulate the new standards like a la like James Harden a couple of years ago, but with the new stuff. Cause you're right. Like when he drives, I mean he's it's contact, but he's initiating him by throwing himself in, but like flinging up like, wow, shot. Uh, he needs to do that. But, like, looking back at it, I wonder, like, Bill, I'm not too worried about because a lot of this is there's a lot of basketball that's been played, you know, over the past season and a half. Like, with the games coming fast and furious, 
Uh, him, he he got a rest this year, but I would, I guess, like, I don't want to speculate, but I, if putting myself in his shoes, like, you know, your lifelong dream is taken from you, you know, like that kind of like will put a negative knock on you to begin a season. So I'm, I'll look at Bill. If he's still this way, 40 games into the season and, you know, it's time to pull the trade, like it's time to pull the plug and like send him elsewhere. But then when he, you said something interesting, Kevin, like, you know, people do forget he was always a bench player, like a six man type player. And maybe that's like his optimal role here. Like, think about it, right? Like when you're a six man, um, you know, we're already like here in DC, we love overpaying for six men. Like, we love doing that. You know, that's, that's like the bread and butter of this team, of uh, this city. So, like, if we put him as a six-man, when he comes in without Bill, he does his thing, the, the team's moving, he's more efficient, he's a better player, maybe that's what we need to do. And in the interim, more to your point that you made earlier, we need to just go get a point guard, you know, like something – maybe we free Darren Fox. Like, maybe we free him. Like, yeah. So, like, I guess I, – I think you guys make a really good point that maybe he just wasn't – he was always sort of an average starter. And, like, coming in, my idea was that, like, he would sort of give you – maybe like 70%, like maybe not, maybe that's too high, but like 60 to 70% of what the, the rim pressure that like Westbrook gave you with like a tiny bit more shooting. And then you could kind of fill in the gaps with role players. And that like results in more regular season wins. My, but I think the, what I would say is that like the last 13 games, I don't even think he's been a good bench player, quite frankly. And I, and I know, I don't know, like, I know the numbers look like, the scoring numbers are just terror are like awful. Uh, but like the other stuff looks okay. Uh, but like, I don't know. I just like, I watch the games and half the time, like when he has the ball, he just, he either gets in the paint suddenly gets like kind of scared and then just like Pat swings it to someone else. And then, then just kind of loafs in the corner or he takes a step back three. And to me, like in this league, like, even if you're like an inefficient, like shot jacking player, you're at least making yourself like a threat, right? Like Aaron holiday, like drives me crazy, you know, always seems like he doesn't do anything but shoot floaters, but he at least like, well, if he, if you give him like room to attack, he'll attack, he'll miss the shot, uh, but he'll like try to take something. And like, it like gets the defense moving. It makes the defense try to do something to stop you. Like Dinwiddie is not doing that right now. And that's, I think it's just really like compounding that plus, you know, a lot of other guys having to take on roles, which they're not supposed to, it's just kind of hurting the offense and, making some of the problems we discussed even more kind of apparent. So, yeah. It's like an easy fix. Start Holiday and relegate uh, <laughs> Dinwiddie to the bench. Because Holiday, I don't think him and Montrell's like, like, I don't think they like, like just watching the two of them on the court together. I don't think there's chemistry between the two, which makes sense. They're both trying to get paid, get another contract. Like, you know, the it's, it's workplace stuff. Like in everyone's work, people forget this is a profession. But in the games holiday have started, I mean, you two don't seem as high on him as I do. I like what he's given us. Like, I, I like the fact that he's at least trying to get downhill, draw two to kick it, or, you know, use his flow game going at the person instead of just sitting back and taking it. And not only does Dinwiddie, like, so I hate that his only package is, let me get into my step back three bag. But when people are attacking you and you don't have the gumption to, like, hey, let me use the 6'6 body that God blessed me with and try to get a shot over. Like Garland was going at this guy. Yeah. And you you don't go back at him. Like that's that's when it's uh where's your motor at, you know? So here's the weird thing is that the the perception, of course, is and 
you know, when I watch the games, I see sort of the same thing. I, it, it feels like Holiday is doing more stuff than Dinwiddie is, right? But when I looked at the numbers, the tracking numbers, the drives per 100 possessions were almost identical. Dinwiddie actually drives slightly more often than Holiday does. And probably some of that is just that Dinwiddie is like going to be the ball handler whenever he's on yeah. the floor, right? And Holiday will sometimes share the share the floor with with uh, Beal or with Dinwiddie or Meadow, and so he's not always going to be the ball handler. But the point is, though, that you know that I probably drives per, per touch might be interesting to look at. I'll, I'll maybe check that out later. But um, yeah, Holiday is basically like replacement level. If I was going to start a guy. Um, that from the current roster at, at uh, guard, I might go with um, with Neto, or I might just ask Beal to go ahead and be the the ball handler and move KCP up to shooting guard and go ahead and start Obdia and um, see see how that goes. I think the problem there is that they would lose ball handling, they would lose a lot of playmaking. Obdia, despite what his fans say, he's not really a playmaking uh, forward. Yeah, not um, at all. And he's kind of, he's, I think he would get really exposed uh, playing yeah. against starters the whole time. So I don't think that's really a solution either. So I could see making a move to get a starting point guard in and then Dinwiddie be a nice combo guard theoretically, you know? So yeah, I could see doing that. I, so basically I think if they get a point guard, a small forward and upgraded power forward, they're, they're in there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like That's a lot of shopping to do. That's a lot of shopping to do before the deadline, yeah. you know? Yeah. The thing about, like, Holiday and, like, I like him in theory. It's just, like, in reality, I, I, I just don't know the numbers are there. But I think I think the idea is right. For me, I don't think the kind of point guard you need next to Beal, it doesn't really have to be anything special. Like, I just want a guy that can, you know, that can facilitate what, what I, either as, like, a secondary ball handler or a primary ball handler knock down the open three and defend on the other hand, on the other end. Now, Aaron Holiday, in theory, you know, when he was drafted, in theory, he could do that, but he just kind of, he doesn't really shoot all, his shooting hasn't been great. And he seems to not have like playmaking instincts. Um, but I mean, I like, I do, I am interested to see like what would happen if he was given like at least some confidence to play a little more. But I mean, like Kevin said, right now, like his production, production wise, he's been kind of replacement level, but I just want guy, you know, I just want a guy that like, will like take advantage of sort of like advantage creation. Like you said, like they'll attack gaps in the defense, they'll shoot when open and they will like, you know, drive and kick, drive and kick. Right. Because we can't have guys that are just loafing around on the perimeter because even like Kuzma and KCP, like, I, I mean, I know I've said like things about them, but I, I at least respect that they try to do something, you know, with the ball, even if it might not always amount to something. Cause in this, this league just it moves so fast. Players are like on you all the time. Like you have to be ready. And like, when you have an open shot, you have to, and you're, and you can shoot reasonably well, you have to take it. And when you have a driving lane, you have to take it. And having guys who just like refuse to do that, it hurts so much. I think, especially in the modern kind of fast paced game more than it ever has. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. So, so like, one one last quick thing about Aaron Holiday. Like I've I've been a fan. Um, like when Lonzo Ball, like in Lavar, the big the triple Bs and stuff. Like that was all the rage of the day. Uh, watching UCLA, I was like, you know what? This Holiday, that third Holiday dude, is pretty good. 
he looked like a natural point guard who had to play shooting guard because Lonzo was just that much better. Right. And then the next year, was it, is it Jalen hands or handy, whatever the top recruit who, you know, went stealing with uh Leangelo ball. Like he was the point guard. So he didn't really get into his junior year. His junior year, he was like, he was their primary scorer and primary ball handler, dishing out assists and scoring. So I feel like if the pieces are around him and he's allowed to play that, he can do it. It's just to you all's point, when he's playing with the Wizards, he's out there with Neto, who is a primary ball handler when those two share the court. He's out there with Dinwiddie, who he shouldn't be, who shouldn't even be like, get him off the court when those two are out there. Oh, he's out there with Bill, who he has to go to. And then he's playing with guys like Montrez, who I, I don't want to post up Trez. Like me personally, like go go get the go get your lunch off of the backboard and put it back in. Do what got you here. Like when we're <laughs> posting them up. Cool, buddy. Like I, I love the confidence, but that's not what I want to see out of offense. Anyway, the point is, I think if we enable him, if if not us, like us three here, but if uh Wes yeah. enabled him to to like, you know what, get back to who you truly are. And then I would wonder it to like, like hesitate to um, like, I wouldn't put him off like that. He couldn't do it. I would like to see the numbers if he was given that. So me personally, if I had a line to the coach, I would say, Hey, sit Dinwiddie down 15 games, let Aaron holiday do the thing. Let him man a point. Let's see. Why else do we trade for? Him? Why else do we trade for him? We had Neto. If like theoretically we had Neto to do what he can do, we, we must see something in him. Let's go do it because Quite frank, I, I like what he gives us way, way higher than what, I, what I've been seeing from Dinwiddie thus far. And a part of why his numbers don't quite equate with what we're both, what we're all three of us are seeing without like eyes is one, the players he's playing with, and two, the role he's put in when he's in the game. So that, that's just me. That's just how, that's just my take on it. We, we can move off of uh, the holidays now, even though we're, what, two weeks away? Yeah, from we're, we're coming into the holiday season. So yeah. Yes, we can. We can stop talking about it. <laughs> so, um, actually, you know, one name came to mind actually as uh, as we were talking, um, and for potential trade, get a better backcourt partner, somebody who would play with some aggression, can defend, shoot, all that kind of stuff. And that's Terry Rozier. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I wonder if there could be a deal made there. Um, Rozier's playing pretty well this season, and so could you swap one of the centers because Charlotte could use a center, although Charlotte may not want to. Give he up because he's 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 been playing well with uh with uh, the other ball. Yeah, I mean, they did draft James Booknight, who like hit six threes the other night. So maybe they if they want to like elevate him, but yeah, I mean I don't know why they would want to trade Rozier, but that's that would be an ideal I think backcourt partner for Beal. They just uh re-signed him like they threw the bag at him again. They really yeah, up yeah. him after I, like, drafting a shooting guard, which is kind of surprising, but yeah. I like I like so, uh Rozier, but he. Let's close with this is like, uh, you know, trade deadline, the Wizards, you know, they, we, I think we've all identified some things that they could use. So like, what's like one or two like guys that you think are like theoretically obtainable for the Wizards that they could pull the trigger on before the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned Rozier, who, like who else do you think? Markel Fultz. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I've already put it in the, uh, the ESPN. I told him, leave that bad basketball in Orlando and come play some good basketball back at home. We'll, re- we'll rejuvenate his career. We'll revitalize him and get him going. Because prior to the injury, um, and, you know, you have to put a big asterisk next to it, like, you know, blowing up your knee and shoulder, 
might be damaged goods. But if he's able to come back full speed, um, number one ta- pick talent, point guard who can score, combo guard, back home at the crib, he's a mama's boy. His best friend is here at the crib. His best friend is uh, Chase Young. Um, that's one guy for me. I think Fultz is the most likely. Like, we can get Fultz for sure. Um, the second one, and, you know, you all are right. He's on the most, like, uh, team-friendly contract. The thing is, he may go to OKC. He may hold out. Like, he may hold out. He's overplayed that contract and then some. And I don't think OKC wants to pay him. Just, like, that's just OKC. Like, they they, they blew up their whole uh, their whole potential dynasty over, what, the difference of $2 million or something between Ibaka and Harden. So the, the owners haven't changed. They're still, let's say, economical with their money. Um, I think we can get uh, – I think so. I think Fultz and I think Dort. Yeah. So maybe, Dort, maybe Dort, just a quick – on OKC and Dort, uh, OKC is about 23 million under the salary floor. Bertons. And so, um, yeah, well, so they can take any amount of money and they, but the salary floor, they don't need to necessarily spend more because what happens is the, the money then gets divided up among the players who are on the roster. So mm-hmm. if Lou Dort gets traded, he actually loses money because where he goes to the new team, he wouldn't get that share of the you know, under the, uh, under the uh, floor. Uh, have, you, have you been so, to Montreal? What the hell would you want to stay in OKC? Have you ever been to Montreal? He well, doesn't want to stay in OKC. Pretty much loves the thunder, but uh, anyway, so. He doesn't want to be there. Trust me. He wants out. Yeah. In terms of trade guys, uh, I kind of like, uh, I've always kind of been in on uh, Buddy Heald because it seems like the Kings, have been trying to get rid of him for three years. And for some reason, even though he's like, I mean, he's, his shooting has cooled down a little bit, but I feel like he's theoretically just another, like, like, um, you know, I, he provides sort of what Bertans does, but unlike what Bertans, he can do stuff off the dribble. Sometimes he can attack closeouts. Uh, he can actually move off the ball. Uh, and he's just like, like I think he makes like 20 million a year for, for the lot. And he has two years left on his deal could maybe cobble together. Uh, I don't know if like, I, I don't know what the Kings, what interest the Kings would have in Bertans, but try like a third team. Like, like you said, maybe OKC, maybe throw in, or maybe like we do have that pick that, okay. We gave to OKC that's currently protected. Um, now we don't know if Beal is going to leave. So maybe we just want to keep that and make sure that. And so we have the option to tank in 2023 if we need it. But uh, I, I feel like Buddy Heald's a guy that's just like, you know, the Kings are just kind of begging to get rid of him. So I, I just I wouldn't think that it would cost too much. And I think he could really help, um, even though I, he doesn't really fit sort of the, the small forward slash like point guard role that we need. I just think he adds like skill, a skill that the roster is missing. But yeah, I can see that. I mean, he, he doesn't really defend. You know, he's he, he there, there's a lot of holes in what he does. And yeah. I can't imagine him having gotten that contract anywhere else. But that said, if you're sending, you know, Bertans and somebody, you know, for for him, then maybe the the guy I think would be interesting with the Wizards from from the Sacramento roster is Harrison Barnes. Yep. But and he's having a really good season. He'd he'd be nice in that small forward. He could also play some four. Um, but 
I don't think Sacramento wants to give him up. So well, that's the challenge. Are- One of the challenges that everybody is going to have with the trade deadline is that there are so few teams that are just out of the picture and want to be out of the picture. Yep. You know, the, the play-in games really, I think, fixed a lot of the, the, the tanking because everybody is still sort of in it. You know, you yep. think about the Wizards. I've got them forecast to win 39 games. That might not be good enough to make the play. <laughs> so it's 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 interesting. I, I so I would love to see them do that. I, I wouldn't mind seeing them make a run at Boston. Like I'm kind of hoping that Boston continues to have a really rough time and maybe <laughs> can make a run at Jalen Brown or something like that. See if yeah. they could they could get him away because I, I would use Brown at uh, without giving up Beal. I mean, you know, if if that would be. Yeah. I just don't see it. Jalen's a superstar, man. I don't think he's that good, but oh, he's he's better than that. He's their best. Oh, man. the league. Oh man, watch out! No, I like him. I, like I, I think he's a good player. I love it, and it's there's no Berkeley bias. Like right, oh, you're just saying that because y'all Bears. Like no, no. Like Jalen has everything you want out of a superstar. He wants to get better. He practices. He he has that like ambition, and he applies like what he learns to the court. Like they try to pigeonhole him. He said, no, how many players get pigeonholed and end up there forever? He rebuked it, outshined it. And then even when he averaged 20, he was still a fourth option. You average 20 as a fourth option on a winning team? Come on. Like, I I love Jalen. You know that. I want Jalen in D.C. I would give up Bill for Jalen in a heartbeat. (laughs) Like, I wouldn't even think twice about it. Okay, Bill, you did great service. Go play with your best friend. Give us Jalen. (laughs) And then get folks, and we're cooking. <laughs> I'm telling right. you, like, no, honestly, Kevin, use your, um, use your, use your connects with Tommy, your your old channels with Tommy to like put that in his ear, like folks, because Orlando has to give up one of them. They they just they drafted Suggs and they drafted uh, what's the guy uh, kid yeah Cole Anthony. Yep. And it's they have Hampton too, so they have a lot of guards. That's yeah, they have a lot of. Well, we don't we don't want Hampton. Like, We'll see, we'll see if they've got any any of them who can play. I mean, the Suggs is a guy I liked a lot, but he's he, he Fultz is better than them all. He yes. was awful. Um, Cole Anthony, I did not like. He he started really well. He's been tapering way down. He's been doing the kind of. Uh, the, the I don't think he, I think he's a ball hog personally. I think he's a ball hog, uh, well, but he's putting up good him. numbers, right? So like you know you love you, you love uh, well. tied into yay points crowd. So the yay points that he puts up may. Uh, make faults expendable because, like, um, man, I'm telling, he had just started to figure it out. Yeah, and he was sharing a backcourt. Yeah, like so, like he was sharing a backcourt and just started to figure it out. He was coming along. He was back. He was up, uh, you know, round average or so. He was he he was becoming a a decent player. He's 22 years old. Like damaged good. Like will it's still too early to uh to say for sure whether or not he'll make full recoveries from both the uh shooting the late the shoulder incident as well as uh the ACL tear. But if he can get back, man, if we have one damaged point guard on our team, I would like to replace Dan Winnie for folks. You know who would be great on this roster? Garrison Matthews. <laughs> what? Nah, they tanking in Houston. Don't fall for that hype. No. <laughs> I mean, I, he, he, you know, he's shooting. I feel like he did a lot of this stuff in D.C. It's just that, like, he just didn't get minutes, you know? It's yeah. like he's always been a decent shooter. I think the issue with him is that he didn't – he, like, ran like a guy who's, like, in great shape, 
and was never really in good shape. So they, he couldn't, they couldn't play him long, but it seems yeah. like he's really kind of like improved his like conditioning and stuff. Yeah. And now he can. Uh, he's, he's gotten better. He's definitely better prepared. I mean, that was yeah. a little bit of the question with him here was his commitment um, and how, how hard he was willing to work, um, you know? Yeah. So he's, he seems like maybe the wizards turning him loose may have had him look at his basketball mortality and, yeah. And do he wanted to be good. I think there was like a report that they act the Wizards actually did offer him like a, a non-guaranteed, I think a two years guaranteed. It was probably probably a minimum level deal, but he he yeah. wanted to become a cop. So and then I guess he changed his mind and went to Houston. So it's pretty interesting. Wanted to become a cop? Yeah, apparently. Oh, so I hadn't heard that part of it. No he wanted to it said he wanted to go into law enforcement. So well, you know, cops love shooting, so it makes sense. <laughs> like, you know, it, it, it tracks. Right, but no, but like, let's. I like Garrison Matthews, and I have a former coworker. Uh, he's down in Houston, big Rockets fan. I was like, "Oh, you took out trash and turned it into something good." He was like, "Don't get it twisted, wrong. We stink. This seven-game win streak is the luckiest thing I've seen. Like, it's the luckiest thing he's seen in his life." He's like, "We stink, and we don't want to win. We want to keep tanking because yeah. they have a lot of picks coming to them." So. What's weird is like there's seven. It's been without their two rookie guards, which I, it's kind of concerning, uh, because like if they were winning and like Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. are playing really well, then it's like all right, maybe mm-hmm. you can accelerate their timeline. But they're just kind of winning with a bunch of like veterans and castoffs, which is like it's fun, but I don't know if it helps them. But you know, Rockets fans seem to be having fun, so I don't. Yeah, like they're they're enjoying. They're, they were the uh, they were the cock of the walk at one point. Now now they, then they went to the feather duster days. Uh, you know all that analytics stuff. They they were the godfathers of it. People hate those blokes. And like now, I mean it's good, right? Like on the one hand, I envy them. Like like it's a long suffering. Like watching the Wizards. Like I've I think John Wall was when I went off to college, and it was like oh we have a guy who can dougie. Like I remember watching that. Like what in a freshman year with friends around, like, oh, we want TNT, and now you know we'll be lucky if we get one TNT game this year. So it's pretty cool that they have like young, young, uh, exciting players. Um, but it's also it goes to show like the business side of it. Like, you know, even John Wall, I'm better than everyone on that roster. I'm not coming off the bench for Kevin Porter Jr. He can't hold my water. I and gotta they, say that one of the most puzzling personnel things that I think I've ever seen is the whole idea of Kevin Porter being a point guard or yep. being really, to be honest, an NBA player. I mean, he is yep. just not good. Oh, NBA player. I don't know. Don't Seattle Hoopers can hoop, man. Let me put it this way. If I was a GM, there's no way I would take him on the team. None. Because of his uh, off the field stuff, like off the court stuff? No, or? because of his on the court performance. Okay. I, I, okay. Think, he's, I think he's, I don't he's, think he's an NBA player. You got to look at it like, I think he's, honestly, I think this is truly his second year, right? Like, because Cleveland didn't want anything to do with him. Yeah, he's been like, awful, awful, awful this season. Wow, yeah. that's how, and also, I, I don't think Jalen Green's going to be that good. Mm, he's been bad not. as a rookie, but rookie guards tend to be really bad, so I'm not too worried. But, yeah, he's it's been, he's, like, he and Porter have actually been, like, if you look at the advanced metrics stuff, they have, like they are like at the bottom of the bottom of like the two worst players in the NBA right now. So that yeah. that's probably why they're winning, honestly. But um, it's probably yeah, it's weird when you take out two of the worst players in the league out of your line. Yeah, you start so winning. But, but here's why. Here's why I don't think Jalen Green's going to be uh, like that. Well, because like some some team, like some 
like players, you give the franchise, they want to win. You let them get through their learning curves. Like John Wall, he turned us into a winner. Like other pieces came around. We gave him the keys and he was playing with knuckleheads, right? He wanted to be somewhat serious, turned it around. But Jalen Green, like he's getting, um, he's, he's putting up numbers. And for his generation, that's what matters. Like, you know, the missed dunks, like his highlight reels are like, oh, I almost banged on you. Like that, those type of things matter to him, those accolades. Rightfully so. Like we all come in, whatever our respective professions are, we have uh, personal goals first before team building goals or collective goals, right? And it's just like when you, when you give someone that young um, the keys to the franchise and you tell them you could do whatever, you're our number one go-to, forget the, you know, high price free agent we signed and, you know, would, it's you. You run the show. How do you get better? Like, how do you get better if you don't have that one to? He, he's, he hasn't went to college. So he, he didn't feel a sting of, like, you know, pouring something all in into a team and then having it go kaput. Like most of the players who do that, like, okay, I'm only going to be here for one year, but let me make it the best year of my life. And then a lot of them end up seeing like, hey, this is tougher than what I thought. Yeah. G League, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I just, I just, I hope I'm wrong because I like every, I love his moxie. And and like, I'm a guy who I love confident players. Like I, I hate that. Oh, be humble. Why would you be humble? You wanted the top, you in the top 1% of people to do this. Why would you be humble? No one could do what you do. Like, you don't have to be arrogant, but that fake modesty. Yeah. I would be on this. I, I love players like that. Like, my favorite baseball player of all time, Ricky Henderson, because nobody thought Ricky was as great as Ricky thought Ricky was, right? That's how it goes, man. Ricky, if you ask Rick, Ricky Henderson with a little bit of truth serum, he will tell you that he is the greatest baseball player of all time. And he believes it. And he believes it. He yeah. absolutely, 100% yeah. believes it. I like, I Wall, Wall really believed we were the best backcourt. Yeah. Yes. I, I think players should should have confidence in themselves. Like, I was seeing something about Steph Curry. Like, I think Dame Lillard, basically, there was, like, news that he thinks he's on the same level as Steph Curry, which we don't – we obviously, like – we as, like, outsiders don't believe that. But, he, of course, Whoa. he should believe that. Who is he takes, like – this dude takes, Lillard. like – if you take, like, 35 footers from, like – from the logo, then of course you have to think you're as good as Steph Curry. Otherwise, you're not going to have more threes than Steph when it's all said and done. He may yeah. be, he may be uh, better than Steph. I don't know. I don't know about that, but I mean, no. he should definitely no. be right. No, but <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, yo, people, I have you so and Dame are both wrong. <laughs> hey, man, I love Steph. Like, Steph, Steph played a huge part of me, like watching basketball, like through my college years. Like, I love Steph. I miss the old Roracle. Now he's just like. uh wealthy hipsters like i remember it was just like the mexicans and the asians like up in the the, the nosebleeds just going crazy like i miss i love like that era they love monte ellis like the bay area i i love everything steph stands for right he was a late bloomer he always had confidence and then steph's peak may be one of the greatest peaks we've we've ever witnessed right like because he's still within that peak right like the 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 discussion that he had fell off were like way overstated, right? But Dean Lillard has been consistent. There's oh, not been lingering, lingering ankle issues that plague Steph. There's not been sharing a ball with Monte that Steph had to do. Like Dame Lillard, the only thing's missing is the rings. Because yeah. the numbers, he's gonna, he's gonna have more when it's all said and done. 
Dame Lillard will be the the NBA's leader in three point field goals made. Like he will have. Yeah, he will, man. He, yes, so. he will. I don't think so. I don't yes, think so. Yes, he will, man. But yes, this, he will. I have a thousand dollar bet on that with a buddy. Season podcast where we haven't already been going for more than an hour. So. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. You could cut. You could cut that game. shots up. before we before we uh, wrap this one up. Uh, only last thing I would say is uh, my Christmas list. I hope you get Dallas up off this team. We tired. We getting scammed. He's stealing money. Uh, Dinwiddie, I'm gonna give you to game. Wait, when is the trade? How many games do you think we'll we'll play before the deadline? Do you have a rough estimate or? Well, the deadline is what? It's like right before the All Star break. So, looks like the deadline would be somewhere in early February. So. They will have played about 50 games. 50 games? 50 okay. Games. So, Spencer, uh, I'm going to give you 50. I love intelligent hoopers. Uh, we, we're Something that's different about us. We're, we're slept on, you know, we, we because we didn't grow up in the hood and have that, like, nasty – you know, his father's a Harvard professor. Like, I, I love that. I hope you figure it out. But by game 50, bro, sorry, so what have you done for me lately? Business. Uh, I'm going to give you to 50 games and then – you either have to shut yourself down or we have to get you up out of here. And Brad, forget the naysayers. If this is your last run in D.C., put on a show, bro. Put on a show. Like, so far, I mean, like, the Dallas, I would say only the Dallas game and the first um, the first Atlanta game, you put on shows. I respect it. It's very, very commendable performances. Let's get back to that. Even if it takes 30 shots, so what? Don't give it to Davis. And that, that was my parting shots. Uh, my parting shots is, are uh, the Wizards. I think the Wizards should take, try to go for a swing of some sort. Uh, I think that they're better than they're playing, uh, even though I think they're closer to 500 than they were to the initial 50 wins. I still think they can be like a 45-ish win team if, like, the big if, if the guys who are shooting below their level shoot better and if the defense gets you know, at least back to like the 12, 10 to 12 range um, in the league. So, uh, you know, it's going to be rough. Uh, I will, I will be surprised. It'll, we'll be lucky to be 500 by the end of the new year, but, you know, hopefully an easier schedule than that is ahead. And, uh, you know, hopefully the, you know, we can anticipate some of the, you know, the dog days that are coming ahead in the season. So, yeah. We'll yeah. Uh, so my, the, I'll close with this and that is, you know, the next, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Most likely yep. the, the schedule is rough um, over the next couple of weeks, but oh, really probably three weeks, but after that, it should get a little easier. And I think that they can make up some ground. I still think they're going to end up around, you know, 39, 40 wins somewhere in there. Um, I don't, I, I think it's unlikely they're going to be a lot better than that or, you know, much better than that, but you know, stranger things have happened. You know, they could get a second one. They could start figuring things out and start uh, start playing a little better. I, I don't really think that's what's going to happen, but it could happen. And so um, we will see. Uh, we're recording this on Saturday afternoon. So tonight they have the Utah Jazz. That's going to be a rough game. And then follow that with Denver. That's also going to be rough. But winnable game Wednesday night against Sacramento. Um, I have Sacramento slightly favored, but basically coin flip odds. So anyway, we are going to wrap up this podcast, this episode now. Thank you everyone for listening. You can uh, you know, rate us and give us feedback, whatever, uh, on Apple or 
send us email, tw- tweets. Carrier Pigeon is fine too.